What's going on, my big fellow gang friends, my 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 gang of confidants? Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast here for the week of January 22nd. The week of January 22nd, we're recording this on a Monday, a Tuesday for the listener. Those come out Tuesday morning. Welcome to the show. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little immobile. This is bad for uh, audio, but I'm a little immobile right now. I pinched a nerve, I think, or something like that in my neck. Just one of the... One of the worst in pitching, pitching the nervous problem. That's probably the incorrect term. I did, you know, uh, pulled something in my neck. And I think it's because of the pillow that I'm using. What fun fact for you, in case you didn't know, apparently you're supposed to like get a pillow once every couple of years, not couple, maybe like five years or so, according to some of the research that I've done, which is crazy to me because I've had my pillow for probably seven plus years now. And now is like the first time I'm like, I got to get a pillow. I got to start looking for a pillow and pillows. Pillows are probably like top three of the worst things you could possibly shop like without being there for. I feel like pillow shopping has to, you have to like almost sleep on the pillow, you know, like you can touch it or whatever, but it doesn't match. It doesn't match what you're going to feel right when you actually put your head on the pillow. So now I got to find out a way of how I'm going to shop for a new pillow without actually sleeping with the pillow. And I don't know how I'm going to do that. One of the the dumbest ways, one of the dumbest things to shop for are pillows. Like I just don't understand how you do that, right? Like it'll it might feel really good initially and then maybe after you lay your head on it for 8 hours then it maybe like it sinks in or something and then it doesn't have the same fluff that it did before. And then you're screwed because you can't return a pillow like that, right? Because like the 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 company that you're purchasing it from can't be like, yeah, we'll take it back and resell it. They're not gonna resell the pillow after somebody slept on it. That's weird, right? And like I don't, I don't know. It's like how do you how do you shop for pillows? How, how would does somebody go about shopping for pillows that you put on your bed to sleep on? I don't understand. It's just a weird thing to shop for, especially if you're doing it online, dude. Good luck. If you're shopping online for pillows, you're a sicko. You're an absolute sicko. Unless you already know exactly what you're looking for, like you've been sized up and whatever. It's like a, I imagine shopping for pillows who, for people who shop online and do their research. It's like getting fitted for like a suit. So they can measure out their neck, how it fits on their head. You know, they have all the measurements and everything. I'm not, I don't have any of that. So I have to go in to, to a, a pillow shop. If that even exists, some sort of store and find a way to get a pillow that I will like not just the first night of sleeping on it, but then the 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 weeks after and the months after and possibly the years after of having it. It's just a and this is all because I pulled something in my neck and I I don't know. It's so it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And talk about a, a way like the worst way to wake up in the morning. Like you wake up. You try to turn one, you try to turn one way or something like that. And when you turn your neck, you're like, oh, you know, you do ah, one of those things, you do, you know, one of those, one of those things you wake up, one of those exclamations. And that was me. I, I turned my neck. I was like, ah, and then uh, I found out, I was like, oh, that's a little tender. So I started rubbing on my neck and stuff. I was like, yeah, that's uh, I didn't sleep right. And that's where I am. And that's where I am. And now I'm like, I should just get a different pillow because I've had it for a long time. And I don't even know if what I'm using is right for me because there are other times where I'll wake up and be like, my head doesn't feel very good. You know, my neck doesn't feel great. And how do I figure that out? I don't know, dude. (sighs) And then there's other times when you're like, uh, when you're at somebody else's house or like at a family member's house, like I I grew up with a divorced parent with divorced parents. So 
if I'd go to my dad's house or something like that, and there was a really nice pillow that I loved sleeping on, I can't take it back to my mom's house, you know, because that's their pillow. I'm not going to take the pillow. If you're sleeping at a hotel, I'm not taking somebody's uh, pillow from a hotel, but that pillow was really nice. Like, what do you do in that situation? You ask the, the people downstairs, hey, what is this pillow? Can I have one of these pillows? That's so weird. Anyways, hey, pillow talk. <laughs> hey, that's a, a little pillow talk, you know, a little intro of pillow talk. Let's talk some sports, though, huh? Let's talk some sports. Welcome to the show, uh, Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. If you couldn't tell, this is a sports podcast. Probably couldn't tell, but let's get let's get to it. First off, uh, please remember to leave a rating on the show. You can listen to this podcast literally anywhere. Uh, any of the podcasting platforms, wherever you want to listen to it, you can listen to it, okay? Think of a podcast platform right off the top of your head. You can probably listen to it. Just go check it out wherever you listen to your typical podcasts and leave a rating if you don't mind, please. I'd greatly appreciate that. I'd really, really appreciate you. If I see you in the streets, if I see you in the streets and you say hi to me and you say, hey, James, I left a rating on your podcast and you show it to me, I will I will give you a dap and then I'll give you a hug. Don't care who it is. Will not care. If you do that, I'll dap you up, give you a hug because I greatly appreciate that. All right, let's talk some it's it's a big football episode, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what else you would be expecting. It is divisional round now. We're talking about divisional round of playoffs. Um, so I mean, expect full on football. If you're not here for if you're here for something else, I I, I don't know what you'd expect. So let's talk some uh, some some sports, some sports, some weekend sports. I want to start first off. Not in the divisional round. I want to talk wild card. We recorded last week and it was kind of a weird time because we had two games on the Monday that uh, on the Monday of wild card weekend, Pittsburgh and Buffalo's game got pushed back and the Eagles and Tampa Bay were already on um, on a month schedule for Monday. So I figured I thought we were only going to have one game that we were going to be recording in the middle of or before and it turned out to be two games, but I didn't want to push back the recording. So it was just weird. It was weird. Uh, but let's talk about the Eagles, man. What a collapse for the Eagles, an all-time type of collapse. I remember, and if you're a fan of the Broncos, you might want to cover your ears, but I remember the Broncos when they had Josh McDaniels as their head coach for that short period of time. Literally, I think it was one year they had him as their head coach. Uh, and they started the season 8-0, if I remember correctly, and then they they rattled off eight straight losses and ended the season 8-8. and And that was the end of Josh McDaniels' tenure. That was kind of, I mean, even to a higher degree, this was kind of maybe not a bigger collapse. They didn't lose eight in a row, but you went, they went from Super Bowl aspirations, like a true, the Eagles, a true Super Bowl chance team. So that was coming off a a runner up in the previous year's Super Bowl. And now they come to the season, they start 10 and one. Do you guys remember where we were? When the Eagles beat Buffalo in overtime, that was week 11, if I remember correctly. The Eagles were all 10 and one after that game. The Bills were falling to, they fell to six and six after that game. We thought the Bills were on the verge of firing their head coach and Sean McDermott. That was like a, a big storyline. We're like, are they going to get rid of Sean McDermott? What sort of changes are they going to make and, and whatnot? And the Eagles, we were looking at the Eagles and we we're like, okay, this is a Super Bowl team. This looks exactly how we expected them to look uh, heading into a season where they lost the Super Bowl, didn't lose a whole lot banked on a lot of their cornerback play, banked on a lot of their defensive line play. And then since then, and their defense wasn't great up to that point, all, all that great up to that point either, but then just a total collapse uh, on both sides of the football. But mainly, I mean, the defense really struggled the back half of the season. Uh, and since that win, when the Eagles beat Buffalo in overtime, I think it was 37 to 34, something like that. And that rainy, that rainy game in Philadelphia where they were wearing their Kelly greens. Uh, and then since that win, that win, the Eagles dropped six of their last seven games 
and the Bills won five in a row to make the playoffs and head into the divisional round, whereas the Eagles get into the playoffs and lose to Tampa Bay, get blown out, just bludgeoned by a Tampa Bay team that was nine and eight on the season. They came into the wildcard round having lost or won. I think did they, yeah, they beat Carolina. It was nine to nothing in that final game of the season, a game that they needed to win in order to get into the playoffs. And the Bucks just looked uh, stagnant on offense. They didn't look like they get it. And this is against a terrible Carolina team. Uh, and then they get into the wildcard game against Philly and just dominate Philly. Just run the up and down the field against Philly. The Eagles defense couldn't tackle anyone against the Buccaneers. They were throwing a lot of short routes and the Buccaneers or excuse me, the the Eagles just could not make a tackle that led to big plays. Uh, I think the Eagles defense, according to PFF, they had 13 missed tackles that were recorded, which honestly, and and mainly and that, I mean, that's tackles that were broken by um, the, the runners who had the football. And then the other bad part of it for the Eagles was their angles. Their angles were just, awful. The angles that were taking on these tackling attempts were just awful. Uh, and 13 missed tackles, honestly feels low. And that's probably because of just the guys that bucks players were running past, uh, because the angles that the Eagles defenders were taking James Bradbury was, had a shocker of a game, had a couple missed tackles that went for some big plays. And, um, yeah, that was just, I, I was stunned that that was kind of the, in the encapsulation of the the collapse, if you will, for the Eagles at the end of the season. Hertz also really struggled when he was pressured. He was pressured on 22 of his 39 dropbacks, and the Bucks were blitzing him a ton in that game. The last two games, but the Buccaneers were, and they were a pretty blitz-heavy team, but they were blitzing a lot in these last two games. Uh, they blitzed Hertz 27 times in that wildcard game, and he Hertz was pressured on 22 of his 39 dropbacks. 27 blitzes. Uh, Burtz was really good in play action, but they only did it on 25% of their dropbacks instead of 75% when they did not run play action. So, and especially towards the end of the game when they were just airing it out, there was no need to really run the play action. You weren't going to fool the bucks very much in that, uh, in those situations. So the Eagles, man, just a, a collapse for the ages. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't think, I think it's pretty well accepted that they're not going to move on from Nick Sirianni. And that's kind of the, the whispers were getting around the football world that they're going to keep keep uh, keep going with Sirianni, bring him back another year and whatnot, and see what they can get out of them next season. Um, but yeah, a lot of questions need to be asked about that team. I think their defense kind of needs to go through a, wee, uh, a rework. I think that secondary needs kind of. I mean, they were they were dealing with injuries as well, but that secondary came became a a very big problem for them. Their defensive line has really kind of aged out of their positions a little bit, uh, and they have a lot of questions going into. Going into the offseason, we'll see what the Eagles are able to do come back next season. I still think they have a really talented like roster, especially up front as well. Or up front, excuse me. I mean, even, yeah, up front on offense, mainly on offense. Jason Kelsey, if he ends up retiring, which it kind of seems like he might, but if he comes back, whatever, that'll only help them. Uh, but they still have a very talented offensive line, and their offense just in general is still very talented. With A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith still looks like he's going to be very good. If DeAndre Swift stays there, he's going to be very good, I think, under that offense that they run. And I still think Jalen Hurts is a very good quarterback. He hasn't really proved that he's was necessarily bad, I think, in a lot of these games. He was just very... You know, uh, he wasn't making a lot of big plays. Um, They were really forcing him to throw the football and he wasn't able to complete a lot of stuff that he had been able to that was schemed open for him a lot of the times. Uh, And yeah, the Eagles, man, we'll see where the Eagles are. But uh, let's move on to the divisional round. Let's talk some divisional round football, Uh, starting with Texans versus Ravens. This is probably the 
Uh, clearly the most lopsided game of the weekend. The Texans, they were selling out on the blitz against Lamar Jackson. Doesn't work out the way they had hoped. Jackson was blitzed on 69% of his dropbacks and very nice 20 of 29 Brock uh, dropbacks. He was blitzed on leads to only eight pressures, three sacks, but Lamar completes 12 of 17 attempts for 117 yards and a touchdown. He also, um, led to a lot of scramble yards as well. I think he had 48 of his rush yards were scramble yards. Um, 48 of his 100, I think he had 100 yards on the ground. So 48, almost half of his scramble, literally 48% of his rushing yards came off of scramble yards. So uh, a very big a very big game for Lamar Jackson, obviously. Uh, but the Texans, they were selling out on the blitz and it just did not end up working for him. And then they got behind and that allowed uh, the the good pass rush for Ravens uh, for the Ravens to kind of get after CJ Stroud and playing from behind for that team is a lot more difficult. But what a future for the Texans. What a future that the Texans have. They've nailed absolutely nailed the quarterback position and the head coaching hire. I think D'Amico Ryan's and CJ Stroud are going to be a force to be reckoned with for years and years to come in this league. Uh, and they have potential all pro players. If they can stay healthy at receiver, I think uh, quarterback, obviously, as well as receiver Nico Collins tank Dell also before he got injured was having a very, very good season uh, edge rusher. Will Anderson, uh, another rookie on a rookie contract who was having a, had a very, very fantastic year as a rookie left tackle and Laramie Tunsil, who's pretty consistently been one of the, the better left tackles in the league for the past few years and quarterback and Derek Stingley, who's also on his rookie contract. They have a ton of talent on that team. And it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to keep a lot of those guys. Will Anderson, Derek Stingley, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, CJ Stroud as well. I mean, that's going to be the first person they resign is CJ Stroud, but it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in after him. They have $74 million in cap space this upcoming offseason as well. So if they want to capitalize on the contracts that they have with CJ Stroud being on the rookie contract, Will Anderson being on that, which four of those five guys I just mentioned are all on rookie contracts. Will um, Will Anderson, CJ Stroud, obviously, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, and uh, I guess it's five, five of the six guys that I mentioned and Derek Stingley are all on rookie contracts and they're all very good at the positions they're playing. Larry Tunsil is the only guy that was signed to an extension of those guys that I just mentioned. And that is a very, very, very good position to be in. If you are in this league, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, championships that are won, and we've talked about this before that are won in this league are won by being able to have a very good quarterback with a good supporting staff around him because the quarterback isn't getting paid, you know, the absurd amount of dollars. You're able to kind of supplement that into a better team around the quarterback. Look at San Francisco as a perfect example of it. They're paying Brock Purdy pennies on the dollar and they're able to basic, they're able to keep a lot of uh, the all pro talent, pro bowl level talent that they have on that roster. Guys like Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Fred Warner on the defense, uh, and you know Nick Mosa on the defense as well. Um, because Brock Purdy, it doesn't he doesn't have the contract that is getting into the forties and fifty million dollar ranges. So they are going to have to strike while the uh, what is it strike while the iron's hot? Is that is that the is that the phrase? Uh, and if they have you know the second most cap space available as it stands right now, we'll see who they end up resigning in the in the in the off season to bring back. But as it stands right now, $74 million, which is the second most in the league uh, heading into the off season, then uh, they're going to have to make some moves that are going to allow them to capitalize on those monetary situations that they have with those players that they drafted. So that Texans team is going to be very, very good. I'm very confident in saying that they're going to be, I don't know if they're going to challenge the chiefs in the AFC necessarily, but it feels like they're a team 
that's going to be coming up right behind maybe the Bills or somebody like that to be the next team to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs, again, a down year, didn't have a great season. We'll get to the Chiefs against the Bills that game here in just a second. Um, But maybe an opening being made for that Chiefs team, uh, for the Texans team to slide into that Chiefs position with uh, the stuff that they have on the offensive side. I I do think they need to work out a little bit extra, a little bit more stuff on the front seven outside of Will Anderson. The linebackers could probably get a little bit better. Outside of Stingley, they could probably get another cornerback or a safety. Um, But... Again, that's a they've nailed five out of the six positions uh, that they absolutely need to nail in terms of um, drafting positions. So we'll see the Texans, though. I mean, that looks like that's going to be a very, very good team for years to come. And not to mention, you know, the Ravens, of course, they're moving on. Obviously, it was a dominant game from them. Lamar Jackson, another fantastic game. He is by far the MVP of the league, in my opinion. He's been fantastic this season. Their defense is just top to bottom. It feels like they don't really have a bad position, in my opinion, like a bad player in any of their positions. They have two of the best linebackers, uh, middle linebackers in the entire uh, in the entire NFL, which is kind of rare to have two of those position, two of those players in that position. Um, but th- their defense, it feels like, and a guy like Kyle Hamilton who comes up and can j- basically just play a safety that is essentially playing center field who can come up and play shortstop. If he wanted to, he can play everywhere on the field. And that is such a a hot commodity to have as a, as a defense. So that team is, uh, it feels like they're basically unstoppable right now. Now we'll see when they come up against the chiefs, what they can do defensively against the Patrick Mahomes led, obviously offense and the chiefs and their defense and uh, a chiefs defense. That is, I mean, honestly played pretty well. Uh, We'll see how good they travel to Baltimore because they have had some some troubles traveling. Uh, the, the splits are a little bit different between home and away, but for the most part, uh, it's a better defense than I think they'll be facing against the Texans. And Patrick Mahomes has played very, very, very well against the Ravens uh, in their last, I think, five matchups. He's he's been just absolutely lights out. So there is a possibility here for an upset, but I do think that the Ravens are uh, top to bottom the better team. Um, Mark Jackson's had a better season than Patrick Mahomes. They got a better team, uh, better uh, rush, a uh, better rushing team on offense. Their defense top to bottom is better than the chiefs as well. It just feels like, you know, they're outmatched and basically chiefs are basically, which is hard to believe because I can't believe we're saying this, but it feels like they're outmatched at basically every single position, but we'll see lots, lots to happen come conference champion. And we'll recap again. We're going to recap that chiefs bills game. Um, but we'll, again, lots to happen come conference championship weekend. Hey, Kathleen, you know how they say homegrown's always better? You know, like homegrown beef, vegetables, and eggs? Yeah, I hear that a lot. Well, you know that the owners of 307 Real Estate were born and raised in Wyoming. And 307 Real Estate is a Wyoming-based company, so I guess you could call us homegrown? (laughs) Yes, I would agree to that. We do know Wyoming and what we stand for. Family, community, and country. List your property with Kathleen and Jack and get it under contract. We are 307. We are Wyoming. 307 Real Estate. 307-763-1249. Okay, let's move on. Green Bay, Green Bay versus San Francisco. We've seen these teams play each other in very important games. It feels like time and time again, and it was no different. The Green Bay Packers were getting a ton of points in this game. I think they were nine point dogs heading into San Francisco, but Mother Nature said, "Hold on, let me let me create the great equalizer," and that was weather. But it did not help them in the ways that I think they'd hoped San Francisco also. I mean, it didn't help either team. But San Francisco, uh, Brock Purdy also. I mean, as the guy that was throwing the football. He missed a ton of throws in this game. Could be the weather, could not be the weather. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell in these weather games 
that the situation then becomes, you know, the ball's slippery or whatever. He doesn't feel as confident throwing the football when it's went like that, and it's hard to tell. But he was missing a ton of throws. He got lucky on a lot of overthrows, had a lot of interceptable passes that were overthrows, two guys downfield that were, uh, you know, crossing routes or something like that right to the heart of the two-safety defense or something like or the one high-safety, two-safety two defense that the backers were running um, a lot of. And they he got, he got very lucky on a lot of those throws. Very, very lucky that they weren't picked off. And uh, neither offense was playing very well in the entire first half. I think the what was the halftime score seven to six or something like that. So, uh, outside of a one touchdown scored by the the Niners in that in that first half, the the offense was not very good by either team. Uh, Green Bay, and then they come out, start playing better in the second cat in the second half. Green Bay has two crucial bad drives late in the third and into the fourth quarter. In the late in the third quarter, Jordan Love throws a pick in the third quarter, which leads to a 49ers field goal, which cuts the Packers lead to 21-17. And then the drive after the next, which the drive, the the ensuing drive, they punt the football. And then the drive after the next to try to go up uh, 24-17, Andrews Carlson misses the field goal that would have put them up 7, 24-17. And then after that, Brock Purdy goes on a drive, his only good drive of the game, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, and he goes on a drive, leads the the Packers to a touchdown, 24-21, and that would be the ending. Uh, that would be the final score of that game. Neither of these quarterbacks played astoundingly well, to be honest with you. Brock Purdy, again, he missed a lot of throws. But Jordan Love had a couple of very, very questionable uh, plays. He had a truly, truly Brett Favre-esque interception to end the game. It felt like I was watching Brett Favre in that game, where I was like, whoa, that's a questionable throw, and he just especially at the end of that game to make that throw was just you just got to throw it away. He's getting scrambling right, throws across his body, gets picked off, and that's the that's the end of the game. Uh, they had a chance to go down and win that game. He was finding a lot of open options throughout a lot of this game. They were really scheming wide receivers open, similarly to how they were scheming wide receivers open against Dallas. Maybe not as wide open, but they had a couple of uh, a plays where they were finding guys just wide open in at certain points in this game and. And I think that I'm comfortable in saying, for the most part, it was interesting to see that the better quarterback, in my opinion, better quarterback uh, and better coach, question mark, better coach was getting that many points heading into this game. Matt LaFleur was scheming guys wide open, like I said, and, you know, the weather became the great X factor in this game. And and then, and then you know, uh, Chris McCaffrey just has explodes for a very, very good second half in that game. Uh, and, you know, and basically puts the team on his back at that point and carries them to a victory over the Green Bay Packers. This was a lot, again, and it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. I think uh, coming in San Francisco, this is the first time we'd seen him in two weeks, essentially, uh, with them having the having the first round by. And, you know, they came out a little flat in the first quarter, but so did Green Bay. Again, the weather was a problem, but they came out a little flat, especially on defense. Uh, they were struggling, finding, you know, having guys that were wide open. Green Bay was having guys that were wide open. They were just, it felt like uh, the San Francisco defense was just missing, uh, you know, missing assignments or something like that, bad communication. And then they turned it on a little bit more in the second half, but so did Green Bay. Uh, and it just became kind of a war of attrition in the second half of both offenses. And then finally, Christian McCaffrey started getting uh, getting some very good running lanes, breaking a lot of tackles on those runs that led to touchdowns. And that was really the difference. Christian McCaffrey kind of waking up in the second half and getting schemed into a lot of really, really um, uh, profitable, if you will, profitable um, running lanes, and that led to touchdowns, and that was the end of that game. That was the difference, and I, really, I mean, the difference really was the uh, 
were the turnovers by Green Bay. The turnovers were costly, obviously, at the very end for Jordan Love, but then that one that led to a field goal for San Francisco to cut the lead down to four was huge in that game, and especially with Andrews Carlston missing that field goal in the drive after was huge because that uh, allowed Green Bay to just drive down the field and score a touchdown to win the game instead of just tie it. So the turnovers were huge, especially since they were second-half turnovers. Uh, we had one of the most insane fumble recoveries I've ever seen. I don't remember who the guy was that uh, recovered it, but it was on a kickoff, uh, and the kick returner for Green Bay fumbles it, gets hit and fumbles it, and the ball's just bouncing around. It's wet. It's wet on the field. It is not dry. It is raining, and the, the Packer player who lands on it just does one of the most unbelievable fumble return or fumble recoveries that I've ever seen uh, where he just essentially dives five yards, lands on it, doesn't squirt out or anything. He just holds on to it. One of the most unbelievable recoveries I've ever seen. I don't think it led to points, if I remember correctly. That was the one that Andrews Carlson ended up missing, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then, you know, but still, like, that would have been completely game-changing situation if, uh, and they probably could have scored twice if, uh, if San Francisco could have scored twice if they were able to land on that ball to put it away. Maybe a 31-21 type of score to end the game. Um, but regardless, I mean, one of the most unbelievable fun bowl recoveries I've ever seen. So San Francisco moving on to the conference championship. It was a good game. It was a very good game outside. Of, well, it was a very good game in the second half. First half was, you know, it was all right. They were both really trying to fill each other out. It felt like, and the weather was obviously playing into a factor with a lot of the throws that we were seeing that were being missed. Uh, and then the second half was just a, a great second half of football. Okay. Tampa Bay versus green Bay. This was a fun game to watch, man. Ta- honestly, or did I say Tampa Bay versus Green Bay? I'm sorry. Tampa Bay versus Detroit, not Green Bay. Uh, the uh, the Lions fan base, man, what a what a scene and like a truly a college atmosphere. They they came out. It looked like a fan base that had not been to the playoffs or with a chance to make it to the play to the conference championship for the first time since 1992, and it felt like that in that game. It was super loud in Ford Field, and it was awesome to watch and. The Detroit, uh, Detroit Lions didn't, did not disappoint. Jared Goff he has been the best quarterback in the league when kept clean in the backfield when dropping back to pass. And again, he was able to do it when kept clean. He torched Tampa when he was kept clean, throwing for 228 yards on 71% completion percentage and two touchdowns. Tampa, again, like the Eagles game and the wildcard game, blitzed like crazy again. They blitzed uh, Goff nearly 50% of the time, but only created six pressures on it. So their, their, uh, their pass rush was basically non-existent, even when they were blitzing, uh, and, uh, only on, uh, pressured them six times on only, uh, on 23 per on 23 dropbacks and they blitzed them 50% of the time. So, uh, it was, uh, they were blitzing a lot. It was just not getting home and it was not working for the, uh, for the Buccaneers. And that was really the difference. The pass rush was truly just non-existent for, uh, for the, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that became a huge problem, especially with how much they were blitzing the fact that they were not getting to golf as much as they wanted to. So, and uh, when they were blitzing and even when they weren't blitzing, the lions were dominating over the middle of the field. Goff was finding guys over the middle of the field left and right. He finished 15 of 21 with 184 yards and one touchdown when targeting the middle of the field. That was a huge part of their victory uh, and uh, led to them really getting whatever they want over the middle of the field, throwing the football and uh, helped Goff find a lot of the guys when he was getting blitzed. A lot of the under routes and whatnot came when he was getting blitzed, uh, and that led to a lot of completions over the middle of the field, which led to a lot of uh, first downs over the middle of the field as well, successful plays over the middle of the field. Baker Mayfield, by the way, a great a great story in my opinion. Went out of the went out, finished off a very good season, probably a career year for him. I have to look back on his rookie campaign, but I think this was his career. Uh, season as a football player in the NFL went out with a solid game 
should solidify him as a, a solid starter in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, if you can kind of craft a decent offense around him, I don't think he's somebody he's somebody that works very well in uh, in a very good system or in a well constructed system. I don't know if it's somebody he's somebody that can work uh, well outside of a system that's not built for him, uh, but. In this system, he's been very good for Tampa, and he went out with another very, very good, uh, very good game. Uh, he was unbelievable when facing just four rushers, finishing with 228 yards and two touchdowns. He, pressure was a huge problem for Tampa Bay, though. Um, when he was getting pressured, they sacked him on 26 percent of the time he was sacked, or he was pressured. Excuse me. So 26 percent of the pressures that he faced uh, became sacks. I think it was 15. They, they he saw 15 pressures in this game. And uh, it was four sacks on him. So 26% of the time he was pressured, he was sacked. So uh, that is not great. Not That is not a very good formula for, su- for success. If you're Tampa, they have not had a very good offensive line all season, uh, which is why they kind of scheme around it using a lot of play action and whatnot. And he wasn't great when uh, he wasn't great to win using play action in this game. But when he was kept clean, he was picking apart a lot of the Lions defense as well. I think he finished with 325 plus yards or something like that. I uh, did have a couple interceptions. The last one being towards the end of the game, which sealed it. Um, but for the most part, Baker Mayfield, man, what a story. It's been fun to watch. I love seeing Baker succeed. He was kind of left out to dry by Cleveland uh, playing hurt did not help him whatsoever. Basically cost him his spot in Cleveland, essentially playing hurt. Uh, and that led him, led him to going down to, uh, Carolina, which was a complete disaster, obviously. Uh, and then he had that little spurt in Los Angeles where he came on uh, with the Rams as a backup quarterback. Basically, he called him. Sean McVay called him and was like, hey, can you be the quarterback in this game? Because we don't have a backup quarterback that's going to be able to run this offense very effectively. Came out of nowhere, had like a week of practice. And then I can't remember who they were playing. I think I want to say it was like, who was it they were playing in that game? I want to say it was like the Titans or something like that, but I don't remember. Um, but he had a very good game. It was a Thursday night game, if I remember correctly, too. So he came out of nowhere, had a very good game on Thursday night. I think he was traded for from from Carolina, traded to the Rams, started the game because Matthew Stafford was hurt and had a very good game. It was a very fun game to watch, and he had a very good game. And then he was um, um, basically got that got him the job in Tampa Bay come the offseason of 2023. And it goes on. They craft an offense for him in Tampa Bay. And he has a very good season. He has a very good season at Tampa Bay. It was very fun to see. Um, and I think he's solidified himself as somebody that is going to remain a starting quarterback in this league for at least a, a long time. A, a very uh, Not a very long time, but a long time. Maybe a backup as well uh, as he ages uh, in this league as well. I think he'll he'll remain as a backup as well. A, good, a very solid backup option. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Bucks end up doing with him. I don't know if they're going to extend him. Maybe franchise tag him as well. A lot of options. Uh, Mike Evans is a free agent as well. And Mike Evans... A fantastic receiver. He had a couple of bad drops in that game against Detroit, uh, a very winnable game against Detroit, but he had a couple of bad drops and he did end up catching a touchdown pass. One that was uh, the the one that brought them within uh, seven, if I remember, or or was it seven? Yeah, within seven, if I remember correctly, uh, he did have the touchdown pass, but he didn't have a couple drops that ended up like would have been first down passes or something like that that ended up costing drives. So, but again, uh, a guy that deserves an extension, one of the best receivers of the century. He's got what 10, 10 straight seasons of a thousand yards receiving just a very quiet, very solid receiver uh, that you can kind of just plug and play no matter what. Um, I mean, he's got some injury history, but no matter who he signs with, whether it be the, the bucks again or somebody else who ends up signing him to a longer extension. Um, I think he's going to be, uh, he has been one of the best receivers of the last decade or so. So, you know, somebody you could just plug and play and he will be a problem for whatever opposing defense he's running up against. So Mike Evans, another very good season, questionable drops towards the end of the year, obviously, but again, 
thousand yards receiving, just plug and play no matter what. And he's going to get you a th- essentially a thousand yards receiving every single year, which is what he's been doing the last 10 years. So it'll be interesting to see what the Bucks do there. But it feels like if they bring back Baker, if they bring back Mike Evans as well, they could be going could be on the way up. Todd Bowles, a very defensive head coach as well. So I think he'll figure out a lot of the stuff that's kind of plaguing that defense outside of the uh, a very good rush defense. They did not have a very good pass defense. So I think Todd Bowles being the defensive coach that he is, I think he'll be able to kind of figure that stuff out. And I think it's, I think it's only up from here for that team. I think if they re-sign Baker, which will be a good idea, I think they can really um, make some noise in a bad division, by the way. I mean, nine, they finished nine and eight, but I think they could be better uh, depending on, depending on, where Bill Belichick goes and it kind of feels like all signs are pointing at him signing in Atlanta as the next head coach for Atlanta, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens there uh, in Tampa Bay and the lions, man. Oh, what a story. The lions. I have a cousin who lives out in Hawaii, been a lions fan all her life. And she has not been able to watch the lions be good basically ever. And so it's good to see her celebrating as a lions fan, being a true, true lions fan and celebrating the good uh, they've, she's suffered through the bad and is now celebrating with the good. And that's been basically the Lions experience for the last 25 years. And it's been cool to see them celebrate because they deserve it. There's not a team that is easier to root for in these playoffs than I think the Lions, in my opinion, uh, just an underdog story. I mean, an underdog story basically leading up to this point, there have been a very good team all season, all uh, essentially. But again, you know, Jared Goff was a guy that was counted out on in Los Angeles, made a Super Bowl, uh, was essentially a couple plays away from winning that Super Bowl. It was a 13 to three loss to the Patriots. Um, but in then, you know, traded out of out of uh, out of Los Angeles to Detroit for a straight swap of quarterbacks. And then, you know, basically becomes the underdog story that we all love and leads that team to a very good record, uh, leads that team to what was it, a three seed in uh, in these playoffs. And um, yeah, just it has really constructed a really cool story around this Detroit team that feels like, again, it's another team that's on its way up. Uh, another good draft class by Brad, uh, Brad Holmes, the GM for Detroit, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. Uh, just this, I mean, past season, they had Jameer Gibbs, who ended up being a pivotal role at that running back position, a true, a true, true headed monster in David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs. Uh, and then they had Sam Laporta who ended up being one of the best uh, tight ends in the entire league, not just out of rookies, but one of the best tight ends in the entire league, Brian branch, who ended up being one of the better safeties in the entire league as well, who are both. I mean, these are all rookies from just this past, uh, just this past draft class, uh, draft class, as well as Jack Campbell, who had a pretty solid year at uh, linebacker as well for this team. So, a team that is very much on the way up. Their defense, I think, is only going to get better. I think uh, their defense is maybe underachieved at that spot uh, a little bit this season, but I think their defense is only going to get better with age. I think Brian Branch, again, going to be very good. Aiden Hutchinson is going to aim to that age in that edge position very well, I think. Uh, and then um, and then uh, if they're drafting the way that they have been, then I think they're only going to get better on defense. Uh, and their offense has already looked good as well with them on around St. Brown. Uh, Samuel Porter, like I said, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, if they're able to keep those guys, a very, very good offensive line. Uh, and then if if Jared Goff is able to keep playing the way that he has, it's only it's only up from here if you're Lions fans. Just be excited, Lions fans. I think he got years of success on the way. Now, granted, they're kind of running into a buzzsaw in the 49ers. We'll see. I, honestly, if Debo's not able to play in this game, in that game against the 49ers either, I mean, that game becomes a lot more interesting. We'll see what the weather looks like because traveling to weather as a dome team is always kind of an iffy situation. But um, again, if, if, uh, if the 49ers, if their injury book starts to bite them a little bit more, uh, you know, it becomes a lot more even in those scenarios. And I, I think they have a, a good enough offense 
to try to keep pace to kind of keep pace with the 49ers. We'll see if Goff is able to, you know, Goff is one of those guys that I'm not the most confident in just, you know, day in, day out being that guy, especially against a pass rush like the 49ers who have two very good uh, pass rushers in uh, Nick Bosa, less so Chase Young, but still somebody that feels like who's athletic enough if he can just turn it on another guy off the edge that is uh, really, really good out of uh, uh, in that front seven. So it'll be interesting. I still think, you know, I still think the Niners are the the best team in that in that conference. But I mean, it's hard not to root for the Lions in that story. And again, they have the pieces to pull it off um, their defense. Again, not great against the pass and a team that is good throwing the football in the 49ers. So the matchups are tough to get around if you're a Lions fan to see the 49ers. But again, you've gotten this far. It's it's house money at this point, really. I mean, the first time you've been to a conference championship since 1992. Fun fact, by the way, the um, the Dallas or the uh, Detroit Lions now have been to more conference championships than the Dallas Cowboys have this century, which is really funny to me. That is hilarious. They just made it to their first conference championship since 1992, and that is more than the Dallas Cowboys have been to in this century. That's really funny to me. That is hilarious. Uh, good stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's only up from here, Dallas or uh, Dallas. Well, I mean, maybe only up here for Dallas fans. Uh, it's only up here for up from here, Detroit fans and, uh, savor it house money, man. You're playing with house money. Everybody wants to win, obviously, but again, you're playing with house money at this point, playing with house money. It's, it's been a fantastic season. You got rid of the, 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 um, the playoff drought, the curse quote unquote of Detroit, if you will. And now you're just, you're just playing. You're just playing with the grooves. It's a lot like the Texans, just nothing to really worry about at this point. You can just play and have fun. And this year has been a success in my opinion, just a a successful season for the Detroit lions, uh, regardless of what happens this upcoming Sunday. Uh, And you got a lot to look forward to if you're the Detroit lions. Have you visited Alpine Climate Control showroom? They have fireplace features, furnaces, outdoor fire pits, and pizza ovens that are all hooked up and working so you can see exactly how they all function before you buy. They also have outdoor seating, heat, and lights available. Stop by Alpine Climate Control and visit the showroom today. The showroom is open weekdays from 8.30 until 4.30 and every Saturday from 10 until 4. Alpine Climate Control located at 2705 Coffeen Avenue in Sheridan and online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. Okay, let's wrap up the divisional round with the game of the week, the most anticipated game of the week, and then what ended up, in my opinion, probably being the best game of the week. The rivalry, to end all rivalries in football nowadays, the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady version of football nowadays, Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen, Kansas City versus Buffalo. It felt like going into this game, this was the year that Buffalo was going to have to capitalize on in order to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. It's the worst Kansas City Chiefs team in terms of offense that we've seen uh, in the in the years that we've seen these two teams go against one another. Um, just it felt like the most vulnerable team that Kansas City has had in those years that we've seen these two teams take on each other. Uh, and it felt like in that first half, this was going to be the year. Uh, Buffalo was at home. They were playing very well. I liked a lot of what they were calling in the first half offensively. They were um, having Josh Allen really, they were kind of scheming him to be less reckless, if that makes sense. They were doing a lot of design runs with him. Uh, and with if you have Josh Allen, I would be really, really, really concerned if you weren't doing a lot of design, a lot of design runs. He's a literal 
uh, a literal wrecking ball, a literal bulldozer. Like every time I see him run, I get nervous, but he can run over anybody. Like he's going to get those short, uh, those short yardage situations. There's nobody I feel more confident about getting those other than maybe the Eagles just because they've mastered the tush push. Um, so I liked a lot of what they were calling in the first half, a lot of bruiser type of football, running the football with Josh Allen or James Cook. A lot of short stuff, a lot of short, uh, short intermediate throws for Josh Allen, kind of keeping the recklessness out of uh, out of his hands, essentially, with a lot of the stuff they were scheming. Uh, and the offensive line was just bullying Kansas City up front. They averaged 4.8 yards per play with 17 first downs in the first half. And then, th- and then once the second half comes around, kind of just it doesn't really fall apart, but they kind of start regressing back to the mean, um, but Buffalo's mean, if you will. They averaged uh, 4.8 yards per play in the first half, 17 first downs in the first half, and then back down to earth 3.1 yards per play and 10 first downs in the second half. Uh, and then in the second half, uh, the reckless Josh Allen kind of started coming back a little bit, missed a couple of wide open under rounds uh, for the, um, uh, and then missed a couple of wide open uh, opted for this, the downfield routes that ended up going incomplete, uh, missing a lot of wide open under routes a lot of uh, like crossing routes and whatnot. And there was one in particular that was late in the ball game. It was a second and nine, if I'm right, or a third and nine, if I remember correctly. And they had essentially a four verts concept with Stefan Diggs running a, uh, a crosser underneath and Stefan Diggs could not have been more wide open for a first down. And Josh Allen, just being Josh Allen had to find the wide open guy down the, or the, what he thought was the wide open guy down the field wasn't open uh, it wasn't picked off, thankfully, but it was it was incomplete. Uh, and if you would have hit Stefan Diggs on the uh, the cross or underneath, he would have been just cruising for a, a first down and more. Um, and that that was kind of the epitome of what we got towards the late end of that of that uh, second half, towards the end of the game, was a lot of those throws that if he hits them, then they're you know a fantastic throw and they end up being a touchdown. But uh, and if he's missing missing a lot of the underneath stuff that ends up going for first downs, uh, regardless, uh, you know they're not touchdowns, but the first downs regardless. Then um, then that's when we start to see a lot of the reckless stuff come back for Josh Allen, where he's putting stuff into double covers that end up being intercepted uh, and whatnot. That didn't happen in this game, but the recklessness was still being there. The shooting, the going for, the constant looking for the home run ball. Uh, towards the end of the game when a lot of the wide under, uh, wide open underneath stuff was wide open, obviously, uh, that kind of cost them a lot of situations and made it more difficult than for, their, for them to find first downs. The third and long situation started popping up a lot again uh, because of those home run balls that were not connecting. The run game also just completely disappeared in the second half. They couldn't get James Cook going. Uh, and they could not get Josh Allen going on those designed runs anymore, and that allowed uh, Kansas City kind of to that Kansas city defense to kind of funnel Buffalo into what Kansas city wanted him to be doing, which was finding, you know, forcing them in those third lawn situations and Josh Allen trying to find those home run balls, those, those deep balls that were at the sticks or further down the sticks. Uh, and it just ended, ended up not paying off for Buffalo. He did have, I will say Josh Allen, probably the best incomplete pass I've ever seen. I've ever watched in the history of my time watching football, that throw to Stefan Diggs in the, I think that was the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter. He threw that ball probably 60 yards in the air and Stefan Diggs just dropped it, just straight up dropped it. Um, uh, and it ended up, I, I don't know if that was what ended up costing the game, but this looks, this is a whole different scenario. We're talking about if Stefan Diggs comes down with that ball, he would have been at the 20 yard line or so, or something like that of the can of the chiefs. And uh, we're talking about at the very least a shorter field goal kick for Tyler Bass in that situation. Um, and uh, I'm a lot more confident with him, you know, 20 
sub 20 and under uh, in terms of uh, field goal range than I am at 25 plus, especially over the last few days so or last few games. So that that throw was just I don't remember seeing a throw like that in my time. Just an unbelievable just throws it six yards, makes it look like it's nothing. Just waiting for Stefan Diggs to kind of beat his man one on one. He beats him has a step on him and stuff and uh, Josh Allen just like it's nothing just hurls it down there 60 yards through the air in in a cold January day with the wind going against his face oh it hits him on the money and Stefan Diggs just drops it and uh, that ends up kind of being the epitome of the second half for uh, the uh, the Buffalo Bills just a lot of those home run balls falling incomplete uh, and um, missing wide open uh, wide open underneath stuff and yeah it's just disappointing also what was that fourth down fake punt call? What are we doing there? You ha- like I said, you have a literal bulldozer at quarterback. Like if you're going to fake punt, I get it. If it's maybe at the 50 or something like that, or I mean, I get it if it's, I don't know. I, honestly, the fake punts have just rightfully so kind of evaporated from the game of uh, the professional game of football, to be honest with you, which is in my opinion, a good thing because you're going to, if you're going to go for it on fourth down, instead of the trick play, give it to your most trustworthy guy. And that would have been Josh Allen in that situation, not DeMar Hamlin. It would have been a cool story if DeMar, DeMar Hamlin got that first down, but uh, I would have much rather had Josh Allen running the football or throwing the football for the first down than DeMar Hamlin receiving a fake punt and trying to gain the three yards that is needed. I think, I think the, the, the reasoning behind it was that Sean McDermott said was that they only had 10 men on the field, if I remember correctly, um, was something that he said. They only had 10 men on the field, not the Bills. The uh, the Chiefs only had 10 men on the field. So they were trying to hunt the, um, the uh, and they didn't want to call timeout, essentially, obviously, to give them that, uh, you know, give them that benefit of the doubt. Uh, and they were hunting that matchup, and it ended up not working. But still, I mean, in that situation, like, if you're going to go for it, and I don't think they came to the line with the idea of going for it either. I think they maybe came to the line thinking punt and then they saw 10 men on the field and they changed it. Um, but anyways, it just, I, I don't get it. I, I If you're going to go for it in that situation, especially backed up to, I think they were on their own like 27 or 28 or something like that. If you're going to go for it, like give it to Josh Allen. Don't give it to, you know, your punt team and have a fake punt on it. Uh, I get the idea, but still it just... He looks like a genius if that ends up working out, but it didn't work out. And he's lucky uh, that uh, McCole Hardman had the shocking fumble at the goal line that went into the in, into the end zone for a touchback, or this game would have looked a lot different heading into the fourth quarter with uh, the Bills basically having to come from behind from a, possibly a 10-point deficit at that point uh, to try to come back and win that game or at the very least tie that game. That game looks a lot different if that fake punt doesn't work and then McCole Hardman or whatever the Chiefs go down and score and they make it essentially a 10-point ball game. That's a lot different game. We're having a much different conversation today than uh, than we are if uh, if that, uh, if that McCole Hardman doesn't fumble it through the back of the end zone. So just a very questionable fake punt call. I, I, didn't, I didn't really. I didn't get it. The other thing was that is also getting not a lot of um, flack in my opinion. And it should be is the pass rush for Buffalo. Just completely non-existent, completely non-existent in this game. They had eight total pressures on Patrick Mahomes. Granted, Patrick Mahomes is probably the hardest person to pressure and bring down for a sack in the entire NFL. Um, But eight pressures is kind of ridiculous. No sacks, obviously on Patrick Mahomes. He was kind of allowed to do whatever he wanted. Uh, and again, it what didn't, you know, they don't have the downfield threats like they used to, but he was 
kind of given whatever he wanted uh, at, uh, at when he dropped back to pass. And again, just eight pressures for the Buffalo defensive line is, is completely, completely unacceptable, especially when you're paying Buffalo or uh, Buffalo when you're paying Von Miller, what is it? $24 million a year for the next, the next three years, no pressures in that game. That's not good. That's not good. They're going to need, they're, they're going to need a pass rusher come the off season. They're going to need to fork up some money, draft a very good pass rusher if they can. Uh, and, uh, they, they need it. They need it because it feels like the only, the only, uh, pressure they're going to get at the quarterback, uh, to, to the quarterback is going to be when they blitz because they, it feels like they do not have anybody up front that is able to do that against the chiefs. And if you're a, unable to get to Patrick Mahomes with four, he is going to pick you apart. He's going to pick you apart. If you're going to blitz him, that is the biggest mistake you can make against Patrick Mahomes. He is going to pick you apart if you blitz him, but if you can't get to him with four, he is going to pick you apart. And that's essentially what happened. He just picked you apart, picked to pick the bills apart. Just, you know, uh, a lot of the underneath stuff was working again, not a lot of the downfield stuff because they don't really have that player anymore on the outside to, to be able to do that. Um, but he was just finding, you know, easy crossing routes. Travis Kelsey had a big day. Uh, just being that that security blanket that Travis or that uh, Patrick Mahomes needed, and yeah, I mean that's just it, it was it was classic Patrick Mahomes Chiefs type of game where he was just picking apart, just finding the the gap in the scheme, finding the open receiver, and you know methodically going down the field. So second side of the day for you, second side of the day for you, Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills have just one loss of more than one possession in the last two seasons combined. That is insane. Just one loss of more than one possession in the last two two seasons combined. That only loss was against the Bengals in the, I think it was the divisional round two years ago, technically last year, but if you want to get specific, it was two years ago now um, against the, uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals that led to them getting to the Super Bowl. That, that is crazy. The one that that's the lone more than one possession loss in the last two seasons combined. That is Truly, truly insane. Uh, and again, uh, to kind of wrap things up, if not now, if not that game for Buffalo, when is it going to be? That is basically everything working in your favor in that game. You get the home field advantage. You get the the worst version of that Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs team. If it's not going to happen now, then when is it going to happen for this Buffalo Bills team? Uh, I, I don't think you know they have to make drastic changes or anything like that. Josh Allen is obviously your quarterback of the future. I'm not saying anything like that. Um, but there, I think, does need to be some sort of scheme changes, especially on the defensive side of the football. What is it? You got to, I mean, and of course, you know, they were obviously evaluating this stuff, sort of stuff last season heading into this season as well. Um, but there, there needs to be some sort of shift in scheme or whatever that is able to get them over this hump because it's the only hump that they're facing right now uh, other than when the Bengals are healthy that's the, they lost one game to the Bengals uh in the in the playoffs again last year technically um in the divisional but other than the Bengals it's the Chiefs they have to get over the Chiefs and I don't know how they're going to do it it's it's a tough look for Von Miller's contract right now obviously it looks like an absolute mess right now especially the season that he had uh, Josh Allen's contract extension kicks in this upcoming season. He probably, I would imagine they restructure that deal just a little bit to get more options in free agency. Stefan Diggs contract may be a little questionable after his final 10 games. Uh, and they have a ton of defensive players hitting free agency this year. Just like most of 
Their interior defensive line is hitting free agency. Uh, a couple linebackers hitting free agency. I think uh, Micah Hyde's hitting free agency as well. Uh, so you have to figure out who you're going to re-sign there. Leonard Floyd's hitting free agency. Another guy up, up front that's uh, uh, been pretty pivotal at that position. But again, none of those guys, in my opinion, you just have to find, I mean, it's not an end-all, be-all solution, but you have to find a really good pass rusher. I don't think Von Miller is that guy. Uh, I don't think he is the person to be anymore the and the, the the number one edge rusher for your football team. I think they have to find somebody else in order to do that. I don't know where they'll get it because that's one of the most you know highly sought after positions in all of football right now. The the edge rusher uh, that can kind of just completely disrupt a game. I don't know where they'll find it, but that's something they have to find because they just do not have it right now, and it is really. Uh, it's it's hurting them as a defense, in my opinion. They just they, and it was very evident in this game against the Chiefs, just unable to pressure Patrick Mahomes whatsoever. Just he was able to kind of do whatever he wanted uh, when he was dropping back to pass. So it's interesting. Uh, the Bills don't know where you go from here. I, there's just a lot of a lot of hope was was sucked out of that building uh, because it felt like I and I think a lot of fans were walking into that stadium thinking the same thing. This is their year. They finally have the Chiefs at their building. They're going to be able to do what they want. Their offense has looked better than the Chiefs' offense this season. Their defense hasn't looked as good, but at the at the very least, somewhat of a level playing field, maybe, uh, especially with them at being at home. They came in with a lot of injuries, obviously, as well, but at the very least, their offense looked better than the Chiefs' offense for the first time since they played each other, and it still was not enough to get it done. They, I think they led in time of possession. They led in total yards. They led in total plays, and still, it was not enough to get the job done. So... Where do you go from Hill? Where, where do you go from here? If you're a Bills fan, where where do you go? I don't know. A lot of a lot of decisions need to be made. If uh, you're the Buffalo Bills front office, if you are, you know, the head coach, if you're Sean McDermott, uh, just coaching in general, and just a lot of I think things, something needs to change. Just some sort of I, I don't know what it is. I'm not a head coach. I'm not a general manager, but I think something uh, needs to change in that situation in order for them to get over the hump. There's some. Something needs to something needs to happen. Some sort of personnel change or what have you. Something needs to change. Uh, okay, that was the divisional round. That was it. We move on to the conference championships. Some good matchups. Chiefs versus uh, Chiefs versus Ravens. That will be a very good game. I I think, in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes has always showed up and played the Ravens very very well. But this is a, an unbelievably good Ravens team. Uh, I think he hasn't really faced a defense, a Ravens defense quite like this one. Uh, And I think Lamar Jackson is going to be able to, I don't know if he's going to be able to dominate this game, but because again, the Chiefs defense is also very good. Uh, But I think the Ravens on both sides of the football have the better weapons uh, to be able to match the Chiefs, if not be better than the Chiefs. So I still think the Ravens are the better team. I think they're going to win that game. And then it's uh, 49ers versus Rams to me this is a lot more of an interesting game to be honest with you especially if Debo Samuel can't play because um Brock Purdy we have seen against a, a Packers defense that is has not been very good all season granted it could have been the weather and whatnot we'll see uh, but I think this is a very interesting matchup because I think and at the very least the Lions have a good enough offensive line to match up well with the defensive line of the 49ers Lions have one of the best offensive lines in the entire league. Uh, and I think that um, they could maybe mitigate some of the problems on the defensive line that guys like Nick Bosa can cause and chase young can cause Eric Armstead can cause. We'll see. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown is one of the best receivers in the league, obviously as well. That's a good factor to have in there thrown in there on offense. The problem is their defense, uh, their past defense has really been uh, can 
kind of get picked apart as well. And I think if if Brandon Ayuk can go, if Debo Samuel can go, then this really kind of flips. I think the Niners will be uh, in a tough, or excuse me, the Lions will be in a very tough situation if Debo Samuel can actually play and he's playing at 100%. Uh, and then Brandon Ayuk, who's had a very good year as well, and I think Kittle maybe has a big game as well um, as somebody that's kind of not, not been quiet, but you know hasn't had a big monstrous game just yet. So we'll see. I think this is a, a very interesting game, uh, maybe a little bit more interesting than the Ravens-Chiefs game. But with that being said, I mean, Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to count on Patrick Mahomes in that Ravens game. No shot. No shot. Absolutely no shot. So we'll see. Uh, I think two matchups that are very good. We're going to get two very, very good matchups to end the conference championship season heading into the Super Bowl. The the two matchups I think the, we all really wanted to see heading into conference championship weekend. So we got what we wanted. I'm happy about it. Uh, another thing I want to I want to end on as we start to wrap up the show um, Mike McCarthy staying as the head coach in Dallas. It's, uh, it's rare in this business that you get a head coaching reassurance hiring, uh, type of situation where everybody else in the league kind of fist pumps. You know, you see Mike McCarthy being brought back on as the Dallas Cowboys head coach and literally everybody in the NFC East, everybody in the NFC kind of was like, yes. All right. Perfect. And that's rare. That's rare for that to happen in this league. And I think that's kind of what everybody uh, said to themselves when they saw Mike McCarthy is coming back for another season. It's the end of his contract. I don't see him being re-signed whatsoever. Um, but again, I was confused by this because it's like the the head coaching pool that is out there is so good. I don't know why if you're Jerry Jones, you don't go and just test it. There must have been some sort of uh, they mu- he must have known something. Um, they weren't going to get Belichick or, you know, they weren't going to get Harbaugh. Or they weren't going to get Vrabel or anything like that. Uh, or Pete Carroll. Uh, they weren't going to get any of those guys. They kind of knew they weren't going to get those guys. So they backed off. That has to be the only reason that, um, that they don't go in that direction. Because if not, then I don't know. I have no idea what they're thinking because I think basically everybody that is available right now is a better head coach than Mike McCarthy. Harbaugh, Belichick, Carroll, Vrabel even, I think they're all better head coaches than Mike McCarthy. So they had to have known something. Like, they had to have known something uh, before heading into um, basically head coaching offseason that would allow Jerry Jones to be like, yeah, we're keeping uh, we're keeping him. We're keeping, we're keeping Mike McCarthy after the disaster that was that game against Green Bay. So, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Cowboys. Okay, let's wrap it up. That's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. For tuning in, I appreciate it very much. I'm excited for Conference Championship Weekend. We'll be back right here to recap it all once it goes down. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see. I'm ho- I'm thinking it's going to be. I'm honestly I'm hoping it's Ravens 49ers into the Super Bowl because I think that's the most fun matchup. Um, but we'll see. We will see what happens, and we'll be back here next week to recap those games. So stay tuned next week. We'll be back here. Thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Remember to leave a rating on all those podcasting platforms. I greatly appreciate it. I'll dap you up, give you a hug. Uh, If I see you in the street and you tell me that, I greatly appreciate it. I'll I'll give you the daps and I'll give you the hugs. We'll be back next week. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.